Hey friends, welcome to Woman-Owned Wallet, the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Dare, a serial entrepreneur who has already made all of the money mistakes so you don't have to. Now I'm working on my money mindset, expanding my companies, and having open conversations with women around a subject that shouldn't be so taboo, money. My company, Woman-Owned Wallet, and I are determined to help you foster a more positive relationship with your wallet and help you create a life that makes you say, wow. Hey, moneymakers. Welcome back to another episode of Woman-Owned Wallet, the podcast. Today, I am joined by a doctor. So fancy. (laughs) Very, very, very excited to have my mom on the podcast today. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Katie Hines. Thank you. Very (laughs) glad to be here. I feel like we talk about money every time we see each other. (laughs) And it's so important to have these conversations with family and I haven't heard people having conversations on podcasts about money with family. So mm-hmm. today we're going to explore all of the all of the fun and uh, explore all of the the story behind money and how you grew up with it and how you think about it and how we think about it as mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. I do think that it's kind of difficult to have conversations with family about money because money can separate people. And you don't want to get separated. Most people don't want to get separated from their family members. It actually has been an issue in my own family with my sister. And it's a hard thing to go through. So I do think it's important to talk to your family about money and make them realize that it's not something negative or positive, just something that you need to be on the same page about. Ah, Couldn't have said it better, mama. Couldn't have said it better. I think I've said that same sentence probably a hundred times <laughs> on this podcast and I love it. And we'll definitely get into a lot of, you know, sisterhood and money and family. And I just, I don't know. I'm really excited for this conversation and excited to see, you know, where it leads us. But I like to start usually with like where we met. So like, how was that? <laughs> I don't remember it, but I'm pretty sure you do. Um, I think we met, let's see, would be roughly 34 years ago. Almost, so close. Um, actually, Almost there. more than 34 years ago, because I met you before you met me. Oh, <laughs> You know, you got tummy kicks and that kind of thing. So, you know, you're on the way. That's the sweetest thing, Mom. <laughs> so anyway, it's been 34 years and... Oh, now I'm going to tear up. I know. I'm like, <laughs> when you said that, I was like, I mean, mom knows that I'm on my, on my journey to become a mom and I haven't felt any of those kicks yet, but I definitely am excited for the day it comes. Yep. Well, so 34 years ago, you were the second child in our family. So money-wise, that was already a little bit of an issue. First, <laughs> first kid costs you the most money, not because they necessarily are that expensive, but because you have to get all the things that you need for the first kid. Second kid, especially when they're only about a year and a half apart, like you and your brother, Mm -hmm. not as expensive because Mm -hmm. you already have some of the stuff. Some of it you have to duplicate, but some of it you already have. Third kid, don't have to spend a lot, not a lot of money. For him, unfortunately, not as much time. <laughs> it kind of sounds like the way we are now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jason spends a lot. I spend the middle. Daniel spends the least. Yep. Daniel requires the least resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the most self-sufficient. 
Well, you are more, you're self-sufficient now too, but there was a time when. We're all functioning adults (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody pays taxes. That was, that was my goal in life was to have children who grew up and paid taxes. There you go. Government, you got us. Yep. yep. Got us on the line. (laughs) Yep. So that's, anyway, that's where I met you. (laughs) Yeah. In Vermont. Yes. In the cold. Yeah. It was actually um, colder than we expected it to be. Because it was in April, which you'd think in most parts of the country would be starting to be nice. But I'm pretty sure it was snowing. Yeah, I love the snow. And I think dad couldn't remember if it was snowing. And I was like, mom will know. (laughs) Yeah, it was snowing. And when your brother, Jason, was born, that was the middle of July. There was no air conditioning in the hospital in Vermont. And it didn't matter. It wasn't that hot. (laughs) (laughs) And we run hot. So she would know, you guys. Also, I was born on a day with like the most babies in that area or something. Yes. Vermont being a small state at that time, I think they had roughly a half a million people in the entire state, maybe even less. We were living close to Burlington, which is the biggest city, which is only about 50,000 people at the time. We were in the biggest hospital and in the nursery, there were eight kids and that was the most they'd had at any point in time until you and one other came along and they got up to 10. Wow. So you were actually on the news. Yeah. They, did, they scanned the picture of the, the nursery and all the babies in it as the news of being on. Listen, the day I was born. The day you were born, we you knew. were on TV. Mm-hmm. I came into the world and everybody said, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure dad taped over that with he some did. kind of race or something. He did. <laughs> well, like a NASCAR race or something. I don't yeah. know, or Formula yep. One probably. <laughs> But it was funny because I've never seen the tape, but it is pretty telling that mm-hmm. I was on the news the yeah. day I was born. It's funny you had had a full head of really black hair. Yeah, yeah. Which every, when you were born, everybody said, wow, <laughs> I can't believe this kid has this much hair already. Yeah. And within six weeks, I think it's half of gone. it was gone. <laughs> Did you have really bad heartburn with me? Uh, don't remember that part. Yeah. <laughs> I know. With Daniel, I feel like you probably really liked sweets or something because he's such uh, blue a Blue popsicles. Yeah, he's he loves blue popsicles. I bought the popsicle packs, the the ones that are like the stick. Yeah. And I got, like I would eat pops. all the blue ones and give the rest of them to the neighbor's kids because I only wanted the blue ones. And he's the only kid I have that has blue eyes. Yeah. So... Oh my gosh, you're right. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Maybe he's a white walker. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I don't know. He's pretty blonde. (laughs) Yeah. You guys, if you've seen my photo, well, now I'm blonde. So yeah. (laughs) no wonder I can go between, you know, blonde and brunette pretty well. I have Mm -hmm. an older brother with very dark hair and pretty olive, dark skin, tans really well. So did my mom. She's very tan right now because she's been a world traveler. (laughs) And then uh, I'm kind of in the middle, just like with everything. And then my younger brother is like like six, three blonde, blue eyes. And when we stand next to each other, you know, we don't look like siblings, but not at all. Jason and I do for sure. They used to think we were twins in middle school. But what's crazy is you can look at any of you three kids with your father and I together and go, oh yeah, I can see how that kid came from those two parents. Right. Even though none of you look alike. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you said like that your dad, he looks a lot like your dad. Daniel looks a lot like my grandfather. Oh, okay. Blonde hair, blue eyed, over six foot. My grandfather was Mm -hmm. at one point heavy, but became pretty slender as he aged. So yeah, there's a lot of resemblances. Yeah. Like if you look at the family tree, it makes sense. Yes. I probably, I don't know. It's just an interesting mix all the time. My grandfather who was 6'1 was married to my grandmother who was (laughs) 4'9. 
<laughs> so you never really know what you're going to get from that. <laughs> you definitely don't. It's like don't. mating a chihuahua with a golden retriever. You just don't know. <laughs> you're like, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. I yeah. can't worry about it. <laughs> and I mean, even with me and Ryan, like my husband, he's definitely, uh, well, obviously, you know, he's my husband, but <laughs> for everybody else, just in case, you know, he's like five nine or something like that. And I'm five two. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I always have to look up to him to talk to him. And so I think I, he was always going to be with a shorter girl probably, but we're not very tall. And I was like making fun of us. We like we make fun of ourselves for that. And we were like testing out couches and we couldn't put our feet on the ground and like testing out <laughs> cars. And we didn't, we didn't fit in the car because we were too small. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny. We always have to like try out everything, but I bet it's the same for Daniel, just like the opposite way. When Daniel was dating a very tall young lady, I thought about that and thought if they end up together and you guys have kids and they have kids, I'm going to have grandchildren (laughs) who are 5'3 and grandchildren who are 6'3 and they're going to be cousins. Nobody's going to believe them. Nope. (laughs) It's not going to look real. Not going to happen for sure. Well, I mean, in Vermont, I feel like, you know, the snow was falling. Babies are screaming. I wasn't even born in a labor and delivery room, I think, because it was so busy. Um, Originally, you weren't in there and I had wanted to be and they had two rooms that were kind of specialty rooms. It was at a time when people were starting to have specialty rooms that were a little bit more like decorated. Oh, okay. Like private rooms. Yeah, a private room that was decorated that had an extra couch so dad could be in there and just hanging out on the couch in between contractions. And Mm -hmm. it was a little nicer, a little friendlier. I think they might have even called it a family room Mm -hmm. because there was room for extra people. Yeah. Had a little refrigerator in there in case somebody wanted to bring their soda pop in and, and have it available not not the person giving the birth, birth but <laughs> but the whoever else was in there like the ice chips <laughs> and i had started out with that with your brother liked it but because of his delivery had to go to a regular labor and delivery room mm-hmm. and then with you i didn't even get to go to that room because it was so taken up with other people yeah. the entire time yeah and they also only give you a certain amount of time before they go okay well we're going to rush this along which means we go to the other room yeah that Probably yeah. give you like Pitocin or something. Yeah, yeah, they actually tried to send me home oh, really? when, when <laughs> I was more than 50% dilated. And I said, Mm-mm, nope. I wouldn't I, have left the parking lot. I They're lived like, nope. two hours from this, this, this place. I am not driving all the way back there and giving birth in my house. No, no. not going to happen. Man, one of my friends had, gave birth on Christmas Eve in her house by herself like her husband oh literally gosh. went to the car because they were going to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Whitney. She was like in my bridal party. And wow. I was her maid of honor. And she's now had her fourth son, which he had three brothers and like was one of four basically. So I was like, you're destined to do this. Like I just know <laughs> it when we like hung out in freshman year of college and like planned our weddings while our <laughs> boyfriends at the time had no idea. And we're playing Halo in the in their dorm rooms. But So she literally was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll meet you in the car. And literally he was like, well, guys, we had to get new carpet. (laughs) (laughs) And then he like sent a picture of the baby and was like, everybody's fine. Mom's fine. Baby's fine. But it was definitely an eventful Christmas. I believe it was Christmas Eve. And we're all like shocked. And I was like, that's my worst nightmare. But also like he came quick. So yeah, that's got to be actually the best way to do it. I I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe because I mean, he was just like in the car and he was like, man, it's been a minute. Maybe I should go check on her. And he comes in and she has a baby in her arms. Jason took 24 hours. You took six to eight hours. 
Daniel took less than two hours. I figured I better not have a fourth one. <laughs> I might not even know I was pregnant until yeah. I had the baby. Yeah. Well, uh, Daniel was like the biggest baby ever. Yeah. He was like 11 pounds. He was 11 pounds. pounds. Oh my God. Yeah. No wonder he's so tall. Well, technically they weighed him in at 10 pounds, 14 ounces, but he peed on the nurse on the way <laughs> to the scale. So I count him as 11. He's definitely 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so close to 11. Yeah. You can yeah. claim it for sure. Yeah. So yeah, you're having your second baby, um, Alami, hello, mm-hmm. and you're in Vermont. And I think you guys have done like a little farmhouse, if I remember right, like you said, we far away. started out in the farmhouse. By the time we had Jason, we decided the farmhouse wasn't the best setup mm-hmm. for having kids and we'd moved to a two-story. Mm-hmm. So we did have a three-bedroom, two-bath house that yeah. was pretty well set up for having four of us there. Mm-hmm. I had decided... After when I found out I was pregnant with Jason, that it would be, it wouldn't make sense for me to be working, paying somebody else to take care of my child and really not getting a financial benefit out of it either. Yeah. I mean, that still happens. Yeah. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's quite common. Mm-hmm. And so we had an arrangement. My, when I had Jason, I had an arrangement with the lady that lived two doors down. She oh, yeah. had a couple of kids that were two years old and four years old. So they'd been thinking about having a third child and Jason's age would have been kind of the next in their step if they'd had a third child. Mm -hmm. So she said, well, why don't we split your after-tax money Mm -hmm. and you can go out and do whatever it is you want to do and I'll watch your child. And then that worked out just great. Yeah. So you just split your paycheck and then she yeah. she did, uh, you know, the childcare and you went out and worked. And I had, I worked 20 hours a week. I kind of kept my hand in the game because I did financial planning for a nonprofit organization, like help them figure out where the money was coming from, file grants, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess I can use your help with that, moms. <laughs> Again, no surprise that I'm in this field. <laughs> then when you were, you came along, I talked to her about it and said, okay, do you even want to consider yeah, a lot too? Because by that time, her four-year-old was now like a six-year-old and was in school. So she said, yeah, I would still be willing to do that, especially because I really like little babies and they're usually pretty easy to deal with. And your brother was a really easy little baby. He just ate and slept and pooped. Very yeah. easy. I'm going to guess that this story takes a turn. Yes. I was not an easy baby. Not as easy. So I went to the people that I worked with and said, listen, my caretaker for the children is willing to take this next one, but I don't feel that it's right for me to ask her to split the same paycheck, but take two kids. So I'm either going to have to leave or I'm going to need to get a raise. And they said, we want you to stay and here's your raise. Will this be enough to make it work? Ah, so basically, basically, I got a raise <laughs> for having a second child. Oh my gosh. Um, it, it ended up working out fine. She was happy with the extra money. I was happy with the extra money. I mean, again, you literally are negotiating a raise as I come into the world. Mm-hmm. You are working at a nonprofit that's like impactful, doing financial planning. Mm-hmm. And I was on the TV, mm-hmm. like, like on the news the day I was born. Just and all coming together. The nonprofit was actually a childcare center too. <laughs> it was a, a group that helped lower income, well, anybody, but mostly low income people access this, yeah. this organization to help them get WIC programs to help teach them how to take care of their children. An awful lot of the people they dealt with in this group weren't 
particularly good at being parents, even though they were parents, Mm -hmm. Um, making sure they understood about brushing teeth twice a day and when to start that, washing hands all the time, making sure your child gets bathed, how often to change diapers, when they got older, when to start potty training, how to make that happen. Things that you'd think were pretty obvious that anyone with an education is going to go pull a book and read or call somebody and say, hey, mom, hey, aunt, hey, brother, whoever's done this before, how do I do this? Right. But there were a lot of people in Vermont that that needed the assistance. Mm -hmm. They just didn't know what they were doing. Was it just pretty rural too? It was very rural. We actually sent out a van that would pick people up. We had one family that had 14 kids. Ooh. Yeah. I think seven of them were in our program. We're like young enough to be in our program. Mm -hmm. Vermont also didn't have... Not everybody had access to kindergarten and they weren't required to go to kindergarten. Mm. So a lot of people who were in the rural area and didn't have a car couldn't get their kids to kindergarten because it wasn't a requirement that the government didn't have to send a bus around to pick up your child. Right. And when they did have kindergarten, it was a half day program. I understand a lot of places now have full day programs. Mm -hmm. So for us to be there and help almost in a daycare sense, not that we would bring the parents too. So if we picked up seven kids, we picked up seven kids and a parent. Mm -hmm. So the parents were being educated with their children playing and having assistance. But we kind of... It's a cool program. mm -hmm. So we kind of helped everybody along the way, hopefully have better lives in the long run. Yeah. Educated people. So, Mm -hmm. but it was nice to make some money, some extra money because you were coming along because I needed a few extra things. Yeah. I know. I was just thinking like, as you, you said, you know, first kid is obviously the most, but like even that, you know, I had a brother and before and, you know, you're having a little girl next. And I was just thinking about how like expensive boys are versus girls through like all of <laughs> raising them. <laughs> and I was like, they're probably evened out eventually. I don't know. I'd actually say, I think they're about the same. Yeah. I feel that personally, I want to spend more money on a little girl because I want to buy her all the little sparkly things, the glittery things, the girly things that I want to play with. Yeah. My husband, your dad, obviously Mm -hmm. wants to buy the toy cars and toy trucks and toy trains and whatever he finds interesting that he wants to share with his boys, which fortunately he's, he'd be willing to share with girls too. It wasn't wasn't that I wouldn't make clothes for the the boys. I Mm -hmm. did. Everybody got little outfits at Halloween that I mostly made for them, but I had more fun making the ones that I wanted to wear myself, but I was too old to wear. (laughs) No, if you remember, but you had... Absolutely. I tell people all the time that my first memories of of sewing are looking up at you and you're sewing dresses that are you and me matching. Mm -hmm. We went to church in matching dresses for a very long time. I literally want to do the same thing. (laughs) I mean, I was like... I'll close this fashion design business and I'll just make my baby, my future baby some clothes. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm definitely following in your footsteps there. And the Halloween costumes. Absolutely. When yeah. I wanted to be a senorita. You were a senorita. And like you were a bride. Layers. You were a pink princess. Yeah. I was um, a witch one time. Mm-hmm. You'd, sometimes I'd have things that kind of coordinated with your brothers, but mostly not. Yeah. I remember we were like Maid Marian and Robin Hood one time, or maybe it was like Peter Pan and Wendy or something. Jason mm-hmm. and I were... And, but we were really little. 
Mm-hmm. Very, very small. And I I definitely remember all of the JCPenney or the Sears <laughs> photo shoots that <laughs> yes. we have of all of these outfits. So. I think it was Kmart most of the Kmart, time. Kmart, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to remember. But the department store, actual you know, photos, the glamour shots yes, of the yes. 90s. <laughs> we, have, we have a few glamour shots. Yeah, yeah, quite a few. I'm into them. By Man. the time your brother, your little brother came along, that was a little different situation because first our house wasn't going to fit us as well. It was going to be hard to put a third child into yeah. a smallish three-bedroom house. We could have put obviously two kids together in the same room. People do that all the time. People put a lot more kids in that. Right. I'm sure the people that had yeah, worked the 14 <laughs> kids had more than one in a room. Mm-hmm. I saw that farmhouse. It wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. Between that and the fact that I would have had to ask for a significantly larger raise to get the caretaker to even want to And like you said, we're you. all very close in age. So yes. this all happened pretty quickly. Three in three years, everybody in diapers at the same time. Yeah. Actually, we're, we're doing baby food your dad worked at an infant formula plant, but we couldn't take the stuff home. <laughs> right. We still had to buy it. I yeah. think there was a small amount that was given to us for free already pre-canned, like mm-hmm. it came from the store, but yeah. it wasn't like, like he could just perk. walk out with it in his shoes or something. <laughs> yeah. And working part-time, we did the nursing thing for a while, but not, Yeah. but still ended up with infant formula for part of the time. Right. So- We were looking at needing a bigger space, needing more money, my not being able to work full-time or even a half-time job. And so your dad started looking. And I also wasn't real crazy about living in Vermont. It's very pretty, but you have so little time where you can be outside. Yeah. At least outside and warm. And I'm a warm weather person. Yeah. Mom loves, loves, loves like tropical everything. If I could live on a beach somewhere, that would Mm -hmm. be... That would be my plan, but it's not something that your dad wants to do. So we just go to beaches a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He was fortunate enough to find a job in Memphis. That made me happy. My family lived in Arkansas, so Mm -hmm. I I would see more of them. It was more drivable to his side of the family. Uh, Yeah, Vermont is way up there. Yes, yes. (laughs) It's hard to get to. We were a half a mile or a half an hour from the Canadian border. So, and used to go to up to Montreal to see stuff. You told me that I was like in Canada a lot when Mm -hmm. I was a little babe. Yep. We did Montreal a lot. We did uh, Chateau. I think your brother might have been conceived at Chateau Frontenac, which is in (laughs) Quebec City. Fancy. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, then you guys moved to Memphis. So we moved to Memphis. And then Daniel was born like nine days later. Nine days after we closed on the house, he was born. Okay. It's actually very convenient to be moving when you are pregnant because you have a very good reason to not have to help with the move that much. (laughs) You can sit down and pack. That's about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We actually moved twice getting to the house when Jason was born, when the oldest was born. We moved from the house we owned, which we sold way too quickly and into a temporary apartment, and then from the apartment into the house that we were having built. Got it. But then moving to Memphis, we moved twice because we moved into an apartment that the company paid for, Mm -hmm. and then from the apartment into the house. Mm -hmm. And again, fortunately, that being a company move, a lot of it I didn't have to deal with. Yeah. But there was also- When you're dealing with three kids, so you got plenty going on. There was also kind of the downside of moved into a furnished apartment, so- 
a lot of my stuff wasn't with me. You yeah. have to figure out what do you need for the time frame you're going to be there. And just things like having to buy another vacuum because the vacuum got mm. sent to the storage unit while we were figuring out the house. Uh, yeah. It was fine. We ended up with a two-story house and I didn't have to carry a back vacuum up and down. I know. I was just thinking that as we were looking at a multiple, well, like three, I guess with the basement and two stories was like, I, we got a new vacuum the other day and it's so clunky because we had a bunch of cordless ones and then we finally got one that plugs in the wall. And I was just like, I fucking remember why I stopped doing this. Like, this is terrible. And I was like, <laughs> if we get this three story house or whatever, I'm going to put a vacuum on every floor. Like <laughs> how fancy would that be? <laughs> because a heavy one on each floor would cost the same as like a nice cordless one, <laughs> so, you know, but then you don't have to carry it up and down. Or you just make sure that the other person that you live with likes to vacuum yeah. and can carry heavy things. But we all know, I mean, you know, because Ryan cooks like Christmas dinner, like. Yeah. He's the cook. You're the cleaner. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you moved to Memphis, you're vibing and you, I feel like I remember a lot of your jobs because I was a kid. Yes. And that was such a beautiful neighborhood. You like, I loved that neighborhood. Well, Memphis was fortunately much less expensive housing market. And because he took the job that he took, he got a, a better job, more responsibility, of course, but more money. So financially, that really helped us out. However, I never felt like I could just be a mom. I think that's part of my DNA is that I always felt like I needed to be doing something. Mm -hmm. Even when I was just being a mom with you kids, we were always doing something. Yeah. I don't know how much, how much you remember, but... We built swing sets in the backyard. We would go to the Pink Palace and to the zoo and to the mm-hmm. Children's Museum and down to Mud, Mud Island yeah. and all the different things that Memphis had to offer. Yeah. We were usually doing something. Oh yeah. I had a great childhood and I have a lot of memories of Memphis. Mm-hmm. It's still fun to go back. Yeah. So about six months after you guys got your little brother, Daniel, mm-hmm. I decided that I needed to find some other way to make some money. So... I put my name out there and said, if there are any churches, a lot of the churches down in Memphis do mom's day out kind of things where you go in and you do a church service and you have some lunch and you leave your kids downstairs with the babysitter. So I said, okay, I have three of my own, but if you'll pay me, I will bring my three and babysit other people's kids too and make some money. I'll make some money and you guys will have a sitter. And I did get taken up by three different churches So that was kind of nice to have a little bit of money that I could say, I bought something with my money. Right. Instead of having to say, okay, I'm the stay-at-home mom and I don't feel like I'm contributing financially. Right. Of course, you're always contributing as a stay-at-home mom in other ways. Mm -hmm. And you have to be the contributor as far as trying to make sure that what you have together can support you. Right. That you have extra, that you can save some. Did you ever call yourself a domestic engineer? No. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hear that from other people? Uh, I think that was a Roseanne Barr thing, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it on Supermarket Sweep. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was a thing that people said for a while as more or less as a joke. Uh, No, she was very serious on Supermarket Sweep when he Uh. asked her what she did. (laughs) I'm a domestic engineer. And he was like, Okay. And <laughs> which I mean, I don't know, it felt very like 80s, 90s vibe, but it felt very like feminist in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, but I suppose. Yeah. I I I don't know. What it it's no, fine I was, to just be a, a stay-at-home mom to me. I was always the keeper of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, a little bit. Yes. <laughs> and at some point, put my name out there with the people that we went to church with and said, hey, I'm at home during the day. And I know some of you would like to go out and do stuff and have somebody watch your kids, but it's hard to find somebody for a couple hours or for four hours or for even eight hours. Or one person had a summer job that only lasted the three months during the summer. So I would babysit other people's kids Mm -hmm. at our house. And there are legal ways to do that where you find out how many extra you can have and how old they're allowed to be without even having to get certification. So since I had my own healthy, well-behaved children (laughs) and people knew me from church, it was actually not too hard to do that. Right. At one point, I decided that that wasn't even enough, that I wanted to make sure we had enough money to do vacations. Mm -hmm. And dad's job was great for paying all the bills, making sure we were clothed, fed, roof over our head. But to really be able to go and do extra stuff, kind of needed the jam to go with the bread and butter. Yeah, I've talked about that a couple of times. And I mean, I've told them and credited you so much because (laughs) I think people really underestimate the jam. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is just like societal norms or just things that whatever we're fed. It's not that anybody ever maybe says that to you, but like you just feel it. And like you said, even being a mom and staying home and having these extra things that you're doing all the time, but being like, you always wanted to have something extra and you wanted to contribute financially. And no matter how, what I'm doing, I want to contribute financially. Mm -hmm. And it's still difficult to not be doing that as much as I want, even though my husband's fully on board with us investing in this business and multiple businesses over the last 14 years to to have that major payoff later. Like we're comfortable in where we are together and we've agreed on this. Yep. But it still feels funny to me. And like the other night, I was really cute, mom. I told somebody else this the other day, but um, he said, people think she has her hooks into me, but I have my hooks into her. Aw. I thought that was really cute. And he told like a stranger that. And I was like, oh. and I was like, you're so cute. It was amazing. But I think... Well, you have to have that understanding with your partner, which is just as important as having it with family. But I definitely always felt that when you said that, and I think I've said this a little bit in, to you is like, I've like mentioned that y'all raised, you raised boys and girls a little differently. And I benefited from that in understanding that I got to be the jam. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to be the breadwinner mm-hmm. because I was girl. Mm-hmm. And I was telling my mom and my mom was the jam. And I never thought negatively about the jam. I really love the vacation. <laughs> and I love the fun and I love the whimsy and I love the Disney world and all the things. And I don't know. It was just kind of interesting because I just don't want people to underestimate the jam. Well, I think part of that is that my mom came from a gemmer- generation where a she, she didn't, <laughs> <laughs> the generation where she didn't have to be jam that it was expected that the dad would be bread, butter, and jam. Yeah. And that's a lot of pressure. She realized by the time that we were in school, she had a degree as a teacher and had been a teacher for 10 years before she had kids. She realized that if she ever wanted jam, she was going to have to provide it Mm -hmm. because my dad did a great job being bread and butter, but he never moved up, up his line enough. He was in public relations with General Motors Because he was really happy where he was. He was very happy where he was and he wouldn't have wanted to be the next person up. Yeah. And 
what's unfortunate is that that wasn't sufficient for my mom. Right. She did not feel that would be sufficient. She wanted to offer her daughter's jam. Right. My sister and I. Which were, is, is loving. It's it very loving. Didn't always come off that way, mm-hmm. but it, it is loving. She kind of resented that he was not a jam provider and that she had to go back to work because a lot of women in her generation didn't do that. But I think she would have been somewhat bored if she just was at home all the time. Oh my God. I cannot even imagine grandma just being home. Mm -hmm. Like not just being home, but like even after you guys are in school and everything, like she, she's a doer just like you are, just like I am. Like Mm -hmm. we, we get stuff done. We like to be out. We like to be doing things Mm -hmm. and like to have our projects. Like grandma was never sitting. No, no. There's always got to be a project. Always, always. So as a person who felt that she needed to provide jam, she first went back as a substitute. Then that when that seemed to be working all right, she went, she decided she would take a part-time job as a social studies teacher. We had the best social studies stuff at our house. <laughs> she made this huge four by eight foot plywood map with little light bulbs in it where you could push the button down at the bottom uh-huh. that, that had the name of the capital of the state and the light would light up on that state. Wow. So she really provided a lot for her students. And she's very creative. Very, very much helped me become a better student because of being a teacher. She knew my teachers when she substituted there. When she became a social studies teacher, it was in my school. When she eventually went back to a, a full-time teaching position, at least she was home during the summer. So I, yeah. she was home when I was home. Her teaching job wasn't that far away. So she got home shortly after I got home from school. I wouldn't ever really call myself a latchkey kid. I got home first, but she was there shortly after. Right. So the situation worked out well, but mostly it was because it provided jam. Mm-hmm. The very first year that she was able to do a full-time job, we went and took a three-week vacation down the coast of California. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah. We tried to do something very similar with you guys. Yeah, we did. Once I had some jam. <laughs> <laughs> and things like going to Disney World. That was something my mom provided. Things like going to Colorado and camping in the Rockies yeah. and throwing snowballs in the 4th of July. That was all jam. Mm-hmm. So I'm very glad to have bread and butter from my dad, but the two of them were very similar in some ways that they both enjoyed doing those things. Mm-hmm. In some ways, my dad was a lot like me. My mom was a lot like my husband, your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you've probably talked about how he's the saver and I'm the spender. Yeah, you guys have definitely, and there's definitely an episode in season one, I believe, maybe season two where Melissa and I really go into that mm-hmm. in a mini so definitely go back and check that one out. But definitely spender versus saver. Yeah. Well, my mom and dad were very much like that too. And I think that happens so regularly. Mm-hmm. Like you guys are probably know 20 couples or more that mm-hmm. are like that. And it's always this little push and pull of, you know, and I mean that as well. Like my husband is a saver and he is the bread and butter and I am the jam. Like there is so much <laughs> that, you know, that makes sense in our financial relationship, makes sense in our marriage where I'm pushing him to go out there and like buy the sports car that took him a decade. (laughs) And, you know, I was literally in Disneyland when he sent me a picture of a Maserati. (laughs) And I was like, she's pretty. And he was like, good. She's going to be in the driveway next week when you get home. (laughs) And I was like, you know, most women would be like maybe mad about that or whatever. But I, he's a car guy. 
He doesn't splurge. And it was an 05. Like it's like a $20,000 car, but it started <laughs> over a hundred grand and Maserati sounds fancy as fuck. So yeah. I feel like there's so much like, there's so much that I, I always encourage it. And not always. I mean, I want it to be a smart decision, but the number of spreadsheets that he has, he's not going to make a decision that puts us in financial struggles or anything. Yeah. So I never worry about that, but I always push him and he always pulls me and that's what we both need. You know, you well, need some push and pull. I'm not sure if you remember, but when I first graduated from pharmacy school and was making a decent living, dad was with a company that had let him go. They'd had a reorganization and he bought a Jaguar. Mm -hmm. I had no problem with that Jaguar, especially yeah. since he drove it for the next 14 years. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where if you got to know what you like and what's worth it to you yeah, to like spend money on. Yeah, like he appreciated it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not frivolous to me if you're intentional with your enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. You know, like I want to have less things, but I want to really enjoy those things. Mm -hmm. And, but sometimes, yeah, I just want to buy the funny thing or buy the artwork. Or, I mean, we're sitting in a room that has so much like pink, funny, fuzzy, or like this blanket. It's so that's, cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's on us. Like I have so much that I... That I was just like, you know, I want this pink disco ball cup. <laughs> a pink pig with blue dots on him. Yeah, it's a <laughs> little adorable. <laughs> I just love him. I was like, Ugh. and it's like hand done. I don't know. I, I mean, we definitely appreciate art yeah. so much as like a family. Yep. I mean, there's so many artists within the family too. Art and music. Yeah, art, music. And I mean, and I would say, like you said, we're doers, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of execution of completing those dreams, you know, mm -hmm. like... There's so much follow through, mm -hmm. which I don't think those are always all paired together. I mean, a lot of times they aren't, or a lot of times there's a lot more struggle to get something done, even though you can dream about it. Like to me, having a push and pull is always that challenge of like, how do I make sure that this like actually happens, but happens in a fun way and happens in a creative way, but happens. Mm -hmm. Like we've talked about this before you and I, like we as women um, and like me as your daughter, we have the same vision. Like you would say, we can see the pig, but smell the bacon. Mm -hmm. And now I like to say, I can see the piggy bank, but see them, but like count the money mm -hmm. or something like that. Because like, I don't know, piggy banks make me happy, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so does bacon. Yeah. Let's be real. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, dad got the jag and like there were so many interesting things. And, you know, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit in the idea that you did go to pharmacy school. So talk a little bit about like, what was the idea behind? I mean, to me, it's it was wanting to be wanting to be like financially independent in a lot of ways. Or I wanted be able to be more to, than jam. Yeah, you were ready for that part of your life. And there were so many times and that's why I think I am an entrepreneur in a part of it is that I saw dad go through really frustrating, Transitions. like restructuring of companies mm -hmm. that weren't his decision. Mm -hmm. And they kept him around a long time because he did a great job. They loved him and they wanted to find a place for him, but the restructuring of the company didn't make that possible. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I don't want my future. <laughs> and four anybody four times in roughly six years, Yeah, he had to figure it out again. Yeah. And that can be very stressful. And, and if when you I watched don't him, have to... That's better. <laughs> yeah. I would rather just know. Yeah. <laughs> like if this company closes, I'm going to know first, you well, know, which to me is just probably my anxiety, you know, coming through. But there are three ways that 
as I see it, that you can, you can support yourself for a longer period of time. The first one is to start off well. Yeah. You start off going to school for a job that you know is going to make money that mm-hmm. is going to have, there is going to be that job available for a long time. You don't, if you want to go to school to become an accountant, yeah. a pharmacist, engineer. a doctor, an engineer, mm-hmm. you know, those jobs are going to be around, mm-hmm. especially if you're good at that job, you know that you're going to be needed for a long time. Right. Like Ryan has job security for being an engineer. Right. Mm-hmm. You can go for a job that has a high payout, but a low chance of being, of actually getting the job. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be a rock star, great. Try to be a rock star. I don't have a problem with people wanting to be something really amazing. Mm-hmm. If you want to be the best baseball player or football player or something like that, where you make, if you hit the big time, you make a bunch of money, you don't make it for a very long time, maybe. Same with a rock star. You don't yeah. necessarily have that. There's no guarantee. Billion dollar record mm-hmm. six or seven times in a row. You might have one hit that is very popular and then nothing else happens. Or you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> you got to um, go through. Okay. I, I hadn't put that on my list. Yeah. Well, I mean, like that to me, that's the high risk, high reward yes. that you just okay. mentioned. So when Ryan talks about like having his hooks into me or something, like he knows how much money he could make if he stayed at his company for the rest of his life. Yes. And that's not enough for him mm-hmm. because he feels undervalued at that price. Mm-hmm. So like over time. So for me to be out here with limitless options is very exciting for him because he knows that it contributes to both of our lives. Mm -hmm. Like we're not going anywhere. We've known each other 20 years this year. Mm -hmm. We're not going anywhere. And we're so solid that it's just like, it's just so interesting because to me, we have that, you know, where he went to school and he has this job and there's all this security, but then we also have all this risk and this investment And even though I'm the investment, I'm the risk, I still feel like I should always be contributing right now in this Mm -hmm. moment. Guess what? One day (laughs) that man's going to retire and have multiple cars (laughs) or whatever he wants because, because he's my best friend. And he was, he, I mean, he's put so much money, time, energy into this too. Like it is 50, 50 Mm -hmm. on both ends. But anyway, so so there's two ways. (laughs) So anyway, two ways you can start out well, you can get lucky and end up being productive or you can finish strong. Yeah. Finish strong is kind of where I was. Yeah. Starting off, I knew I was intelligent. I always got good grades in school, did well with ACTs, SATs. If there had been a lot more financial help, I probably would have gone to a better school or stayed in college longer to begin with. But I also wanted to have kids. I found the right guy. We got married. We had kids. So I started out doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, which was great. Yeah. But I can't say that financially I was really doing all that well. But you were fortunate. I was fortunate, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily financially (laughs) fortunate. But I feel like I finished strong. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be 20 or 25 or 30 years old and making a ton of money. You have to figure out how you're going to support yourself, especially if you're not sure about your relationship with the person who may be helping with your support at this time. Right. But you have to figure it out at some point in your life, preferably not that late. Mm -hmm. So that's why I went back to school when I was 40. Mm -hmm. I looked at the money I was making doing bookkeeping for other people and said, why should I be looking at somebody that's pulling in $500,000 a year and they're paying me $15 an hour? 
I think I don't like that. What do I like to do or think I like to do that I'm good at that I could actually complete? And am I willing to accept the challenges that go along with that? Yeah, that's a lot of effort. That mm-hmm. It's a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at going back to pharmacy school, I was looking at six years yeah. because technically there's a certain number of credit hours you have to go through even before you get into the four-year program. And I didn't have all the right credit hours. Mm-hmm. So it was a six-year program and it would have meant taking time away from you guys because mm-hmm. I was going to have to be at school. And it would have meant having to take money away from the family because I'd be in school more than I'd be working. Right. And and school's expensive. And school was expensive. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I was able to get an in-state price right. even at an out-of-state school, but but it's still... And the loans and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was still $80,000 worth of student loans. Yeah. So you, ha- if you're going to do that, finish strong, you have to make sure that you're going for something that will eventually make you finish strong. So was able to do that, found pharmacy, decided that was what I wanted to do. At least at that time, that was what I wanted to do. And... Then when I graduated, I was able to get a lot of extra overtime. And by then you guys were out and in college. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't taking time away from you, although I was from your dad. So I was able to finish strong. So you kind of got to look at your life and say, where am I and what am I going to do? Am I going to start strong? Yeah, go ahead and start strong if you can. That's my recommendation. (laughs) I should have been in pharmacy school a long time ago. Yeah, Should have started out with that instead of trying to be an architect. That didn't work out for me. Am I going to be something fantastic? If you want to be a rock star or a football player or whatever thing is hard to accomplish, you've got to be committed. You've got to be somebody who's willing to go, I'm going to work every hour of every day to try to make this happen. When it happens, it's great. It's awesome. It's something that everybody else dreams of. Yeah. But if you're only dreaming of it and not committing to it, then it's not going to be what you should be considering. Right. Or am I going to finish strong? Am I already 35 or 40 or 45 or 50, 65? Okay. Pick a number. Yeah. Am I already there? What can I do to finish strong if I'm not already finishing strong? Mm -hmm. So right now I've decided I don't want to be a pharmacist anymore. I've done, I did it for 20 years. I was not happy with it towards the end. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how am I going to finish strong? Fortunately, financially, I don't really have to change what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm now at, six, at almost 65 trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life next? What do I want to have fun with? What do I want to accomplish? Yeah. You went to pharmacy school and I really agree with what you're saying. Like finishing strong, like people always say, you know, do you know where Oprah was at this age? Or do you mm-hmm. know where anybody? I mean, there's so many people that you can start anything at any time. Mm-hmm. And age really does scare people a lot. They think they they don't have enough time to do it. Yeah. And I'm like, no. I'm realizing at this point in my life that there are things that I'm starting to age out of. Okay. Uh, I don't have great knees. I'm going to Same. get <laughs> I'm going to get new ones. But I'm watching a an explorer on TV climbing a certain kind of mountain. And I think I'm pretty sure even with new knees, that's not going to happen. I'm going to enjoy watching that person do it on their TV, on my TV TV, and they're going to have the fun of actually doing it. But I'm not going to have to deal with the fact that it was very cold or very windy or whatever it was that they had to (laughs) deal with. But I can enjoy the experience. Well, and you have gone to... Machu Picchu, (laughs) 
So it's not like you haven't climbed a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't trek that mountain. I did I know, take a bus yeah. ride up to the top, but but I did walk around up there. <laughs> but luckily they have bus rides to the top. So yes, yes. You guys just did that like months ago. Yeah. There are things that I'm starting to age out of. There's also things that I'm actually aging out of. The thing in Dubai where I was able to walk around the outside of the building yeah. at, that's 52 stories up. They won't let you go after you turn 65. No way. No, there's actually an age limit. Wow. So I... I'm glad you did it when you did. I'm glad I did too. I told dad, if you want to do it at all, you better do it now because you won't be able to do it next year. But his heights, he's not into heights. No, he he didn't care for that. He didn't really want to. But I thought, I'm glad I got to do it when I got to do it because there are times when I, next year, I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going back to Dubai anytime soon. Yeah. There's too many other places to see. Nah. So anyway, I'm back to trying to figure out how am I going to finish strong? Well, and now you're like really enjoying the jam. So, yeah. you know, yep. you're retired. Like this is the time that you should be traveling and having fun and like just seeing the world, seeing the things, you know, that while you were raising kids and while you're, you know, going to school and you're, you're putting effort and priority over, over yourself a lot of times, you know, but also just maybe your like physical experiences of traveling the world. Like this is the time. Yep. I wish I'd been able to do a lot of this sooner and with you kids. And I'm glad we've had as many trips together as we have. I wish that we'd been able to do more when you guys were younger and were interested in it. I would have loved to have been able to hike 30 years ago with you guys in Machu Picchu. I mean, well, not 30 years ago. Four. You would have been too little, but <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. Like and, tweens. Yes. Yes. Age. I don't know. We were probably annoying and complaining or something. <laughs> I'm not sure you guys would have enjoyed it as I much would, as I think you, you would know, have. I do think in college, mm. if I could go on more trips, like when we went to Europe, Mm-hmm. And we went for 16 days and like traveled all those countries. Like I think that was 10 countries. Yeah. I think I remember 16 that. 16 days, seven countries. Seven, seven. Countries. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I remember saying that. And so like it was y'all's 25 year wedding anniversary. So you came with me on a trip where I was like singing in churches around Europe with a choir. When we went back to Venice and we went into um, St. Mark's Mark's Cathedral. Cathedral. And I was like, that was one of the best days of my life watching you and your group sing in St. Mark's Cathedral. It was so beautiful. And I remember like looking out and I mean, all the parents and chaperones that were with us, which, um, I mean, it was, you were, I was lucky to have my parents because then we got to go off and do stuff Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) because they could just say, yes, she's my daughter. We're going to like Chicago, the musical in London or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was so beautiful. And like, as I think that's a really good time to travel, you know, with your kids because just experiencing that myself is that I have those memory, like I remember all of that. Like I don't have anything kind of in the way mm-hmm. of remembering that. And I appreciate it. Like mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is an expensive thing. We're doing this. Like I'm really committed. And for me having the experience of like looking out, um, singing at this really beautiful cathedral, obviously like the, the most beautiful. All the places you sang. They were so cool. But like looking out and having my parents like see this cool thing that I was doing across the world. It's interesting because when I do things and I, I want you guys to see them, it's because not only do I want you to be proud of me, but being proud of me is bring, being proud of you, like being proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. And sharing that with you is like... No, the fruits of your labors are here. 
you know, Mm -hmm. like enjoy the fruit, enjoy the jam. (laughs) And, you know, it just feels like when I get to show those things that are like those big moments, because I kind of am in that middle, that second option you had of like rock starness, (laughs) which I mean, hell yeah, (laughs) just gonna be a rock star instead of an entrepreneur. But, you know, in my own way, I've, I'm committed, I'm invested, and I'm really interested in making sure that this commitment changes lives, has impact, like inspires people, is creative and really goes through. And I want you guys to see that because it's not just me that's proud. Like I recognize that everybody that's been around me and supported me the whole time needs to see it too Mm -hmm. and needs to be proud of themselves too. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's something for us all to enjoy. Yes. the way I see it. Yep. Yeah. Hear that? It's your wine calling. Whether you're celebrating a special occasion or just the end of a shitty day, New Vibes Wine is bringing only the best vibes with their Elevate Prosecco-style sparkling wine. So pop the bubbly and get to the celebration. New Vibes Wine was founded by five women during the pandemic as a way to celebrate and stay connected during uncertain times. New Vibes is dedicated to providing incredible wines for both the wine curious and the wine connoisseur. Get free shipping on your first order with promo code WOWWINES or visit our link in the show notes. You can even create your own vibes and learn how to host wine parties and impress those bougie friends of yours with the New Vibes Wine Collab Club. Sign up today at newvibeswine.com. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for having somebody in your life that has done something significant. Whether you're a part of it or not, you're either proud of yourself because you've supported that person or you get the experience of knowing that that person's success could be your own success down the road. You've got younger siblings, you've got younger people in your life, like cousins who could look to you and go, I'd like to do what Amanda did. A niece. Mm-hmm. Yep. We got a grandbaby for yep. the grandma across from yep. me. Yeah. So when you... I literally started this podcast on her birthday, mom. Mm-hmm. Like to oh. dedicate it to her. Oh. Yeah. And you've got a cousin who's not a whole lot younger, but, yeah, but a little years. bit younger, who's now a part of your business and mm-hmm. understands that... This can happen. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be somebody else that can make things like this happen. Yeah. They can look to you and say, hey, look what Amanda did. Hey, I would think I want to do something like that. Or the thing that I want to do, I can do because people can accomplish their dreams. Yeah. It's not just a dream, it's reality. People can do hard things. Mm-hmm. And with a lot of, which what I feel like I've really learned from you, I mean, there's so many things, but the dedication and the effort that goes into things. Like I've watched you in like very formative years go to pharmacy school. Like the amount of times I saw my mom with her nose stuck in a book, like (laughs) laying on the bed in the spare bedroom. Yeah. Reading and reading and reading and reading Mm -hmm. and reciting and reciting. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was like, no, this takes serious effort. Like to me, watching my mom become a doctor was pretty fucking cool. I mean, like it taught me that through those things, you know, through the dedication and through the hard work and through the, like, it's not always glamorous, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's okay because that's what makes it worth it. Jason says the same thing. He Mm -hmm. says, not just me, your dad too, obviously. Love you, dad. Dad worked 
10 and 12 hour days on a pretty regular basis Mm -hmm. because he had to, because that was the job. Right. But he said, watching you go to pharmacy school and watching dad do all the work he did and watching dad having to take over a lot of the things that traditionally I would have done, Mm -hmm. the shopping, the cooking, making sure you guys had your homework done, your paper signed because I was busy studying or I was in a class. A lot of that stuff instilled a work ethic in him that he says he appreciates. I feel very much that the three of us like respect and have a very hard work, like good work ethic. Strong work ethic. Strong, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I feel like hard work doesn't scare us. No. By any means. Well, both of your brothers work 10 and 12 hour days pretty regularly. Right. And it's not necessarily easy work. I yeah, mean, it's not. Daniel's work is a little more physical. Right. And being as tall as he is, having to do some of the physical stuff that requires him to be mm-hmm. practically laying on the ground to yeah. do it. <laughs> That's doing toe touches for the rest of us for an entire 10 hour day. Right. And Jason's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's physical too, but there's a lot of thinking ahead, mm-hmm. you know, like he's running, they're both working being like prepared, the automotive industry in different ways, but being prepared, I mean, it's running stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like we're all making moves. Mm -hmm. And I feel very much like it is interesting because I think it's so interesting to see them being the breadwinners, you know, that they Mm -hmm. were raised like being boys and being thought of, I'm sure growing up, like you said, I watched you because I'm a girl and I watched my mom. The boys are boys and they watch their dad. It's just the way it, it goes. And so for me to see them, you know, try stuff here and there, but maybe not like fully feel that they're able to go to like this rock star world or whatever that I'm trying to go to, you know, they're starting strong and they're finishing strong. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I find it very beneficial to all of us that we were raised the way that we were. And when I say that we're raised differently, I don't mean that we were loved differently. Mm -hmm. I mean that it just, we're all having unique experiences being who we are and just seeing what you guys are doing. And your perception of how you're being raised is going to be somewhat changed because of everything else that goes on in your lives. Like nobody's been with me my whole life, but me. Mm -hmm. So everything that I did, you know, led me here and everything that they did led them there. Well, they went to school with and were friends with boys and those boys had opinions and those boys gave them their opinions. Mm -hmm. And when they had women in their lives, those women gave them their opinions, but they may have processed them as this is how boys give opinions and this is what they think. And this is how women give opinions and this is what they think. Exactly. And much as we want to say that we're all the same, we're really not all the same. Mm -hmm. Boys and girls are not the same, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make it bad that we're not the same. Yeah. And I think that's what I was always trying to get across because we've talked about this multiple times is just like, you know, nothing that I say is like my perception is seen as, I don't see it as a negative thing. Mm -hmm. Like I love myself. I'm very Mm -hmm. happy in my life. I'm very comfortable. And I'm also very, I put, I push myself outside my comfort zone all the time. (laughs) So I'm, I'm like living a great life. Like all of us are happy people. Like we're all contributing to society, like you said. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe sometimes boundaries come across as walls that we're putting Mm -hmm. up to really push people away. But in reality, like boundaries are just saying, hey, this is the best way that from all the experiences I have and all the perceptions I have had of 
my life, this is the way I like to be treated. This is how I like to move forward. This is what makes me feel comfortable, secure, safe, and happy Mm -hmm. and fulfilled, you Mm -hmm. know? So I want you guys to think a lot about just in general, do you think that people coming to you with like saying, hey, like I can't do it today, but I can do it tomorrow or like it's, it means nothing about you as a person. It's just what works best for them Mm -hmm. in their life. And knowing that your family can have boundaries and it's actually to better your relationship than to like put this wall up and separate you is a really, really important lesson to learn with family. Mm-hmm. And when someone shows you like how they want to be loved, listen, mm-hmm. listen to them, listen to how they want to be loved, listen to how they want to be treated because it will only better your relationship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we should touch a little bit on your relationship with like your sister, with your mom. I mean, there are so few women mm-hmm. <laughs> in our family. I mean, my dad is one of uh, four boys. I obviously have two five brothers. boys. Well, oh yeah, sorry. oldest of five. Boys. Oldest. That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. He has four brothers, and so he's the oldest of five boys. And we had grandpa. And I'm the oldest of two girls. Exactly. And so I brought this up before of like how I've just waded through the waters of trying to figure out how to explain like that you know, boys and girls are raised differently just because society too and all that stuff. But you came from all girls and he came from all boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like- We didn't necessarily know a lot about the other. <laughs> yeah, like you hadn't also had not seen your parents' parent different gendered children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we're all like cisgendered people. Like we are, you know, very comfortable in our pronouns. So like, mm-hmm. it's just like interesting to me that- you now have to go through this and you probably didn't have a good example of that. And like you're wading the waters trying to figure it out yourself. But I feel like it's interesting though, because for me with grandma being 60 years older than me, you being 30 years older than me, like I kind of felt like I always had sisters and moms and grandmas (laughs) and aunts and every like kind of female relationship was really wrapped in Mm -hmm. to our threes relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you felt that way. Like it's it's not always been clear, like daughter, mother, mm-hmm. grandmother. It's definitely been a lot of like, we feel it out. Mm-hmm. And friend, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think at this point we're friends. Yeah. And at some point with my mother, we went from being mother-daughter to daughter-mother to friends and then almost to mother child Mm. as she aged and had health like issues. and you all. as mother, her as child. Exactly, yes. Yeah. When I had to say, you can't do this, which is a very hard thing to say to your mother. <laughs> My mom doesn't listen to me when I say, you, <laughs> mom, you can't be drunk on the jet ski today. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> Flossie won't let you or whatever his name was. Anyway. No. Uh, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah, dog, dog and, Doggy and Flossie drove oh, us around oh, on jet yes. skis. You had Flossie and I had In Antigua one time, but yes. anyways, yeah. Okay. But don't worry, I was drunk too. (laughs) But anyways, getting your mom to listen to you is hard. Yes. And it's hard as a mother to accept your daughter wanting her to listen to you. That's a tricky thing because you're used to being the mother and expecting to give the rules and not to accept the rules. Yeah. And I think my mother had a rough time with that. She was, even though she had an older sister, the sister was 10 years older. So she was kind of raised as an older child, as an only child Mm. because of the age difference between herself and her sister. And she also didn't have a real close relationship with her sister because of that age difference. Yeah, she was born in 19... 
19. Yeah, her well, sister. Grandpa, her sister was 1919, I believe, and she was 1929. I mean, think about that. That's the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my goodness, the amount of just strain and stress and lack mm-hmm. of everything that's going on in their childhoods. Like, I mean, her sister saw even more than she did, you know? So mm-hmm. I can only imagine, obviously. Her sister was a 10-year-old when the Great Depression started. Yeah. You really have to notice things when you're a 10-year-old and you can't have anything that you used to have. Mm -hmm. My mom being born in 1929 was raised at a time when the things just didn't exist to begin with. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you looking at your next door neighbor and seeing that they have cable or a dish TV or something and you can't even afford a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's got to be hard to to know that something's out there and you can't have it. Yeah, which is how her sister, mm-hmm. which yeah. is how her sister would. And have grandma raised. grew up, or grandma was born into just not having, not it. having it. Mm-hmm. Which I think, in some ways, must be easier because if you look at you grew up in a maybe a four bedroom, two bath house with a garage and you always had two cars in the driveway, mm-hmm. and then for whatever reason, a person goes on to a situation where. All they can have is a one-bedroom apartment and take the bus. Mm-hmm. Or if you're the person who grew up in a one-bedroom apartment with siblings or parents or whatever and had to take the bus and you get into a situation where you can now have the bigger house and the cars and everything, it's very different for people to start in one existence and go to another and I also think it's very difficult for people to start out in one and get to the other. Yeah, If you grow up in the bigger house with the cars, you're going to expect that in your life. And I can look at my kids and go, okay, all of you have been homeowners. All of you've had cars. All of you've had the things, the trappings that we had. Mm -hmm. You haven't necessarily had a lot more of the trappings. Uh, You didn't have significantly bigger houses or significantly (laughs) significantly more expensive cars, but you're growing into what you were raised with. My situation is a little different. Because yeah, and we're comfortable in what we were raised in. Right. Yeah. I have friends that were raised in the apartments. They didn't get to own the place. They had to take the bus who are still comfortable with that mm-hmm. or feel that, okay, they got, they're still in an apartment, but at least they have their own car. Well, because again, you look at what your parent, like you look to your parents as examples mm-hmm. and it's for a long time, that's all you have. Mm-hmm. Like that's all you have to understand. Yeah. So it's hard for people, I think, sometimes to look outside of their familiarity zone. Yeah. Uh, financially, socially, emotionally. Yeah. You grow up with abusive parents, you might become an abusive parent. It's mm-hmm. hard to break the chain. It is. I have a, a friend who has that situation where she wanted to break the chain for her own children. She's not an abusive parent, but somebody else in her family was. Mm-hmm. And she said it it still ended up happening yeah. because there were other family members who couldn't be trusted. Yeah. So it's hard to get out of the chain of all that. Mm-hmm. I know we're getting off of the financial end of it, but... No, it's fine. There's so much mindset and so much just understanding of yourself as a person that goes into money. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what we explore on this podcast so much is like money isn't the only thing that mm-hmm. needs therapy or has trauma around it, but it, it, it does. I mean, you're still saying that you know, what your parents had is what you have the example. Right. If that is in a like material way mm-hmm. or in a, I want to say like spiritual way, I don't know, like mm-hmm. their perspective really, mm-hmm. that you're going to follow them as a model. So it, t- it makes sense to me that there's a parallels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because 
when we moved into the house that we're in now, your dad and I moved into that house. I picked out the house. He actually had pretty much no say in it. I don't think he had seen it or something. He had not seen it. (laughs) I was already in Indianapolis with a realtor. We were going to look at a different house and this one showed up and they were only accepting offers to a certain time. Right. And I walked through the house and immediately went, I love this huge backyard. It's got a swimming pool. I, I, she Every, gets a little bit of that tropical vibe. <laughs> everything works for me. Right. The rooms are all small. It's a tri-level, which is not something I've ever lived in, but it's got two and a half baths, one and a half of which I never go into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's well, got, it has four bedrooms. It's got, I mean. it's got everything that I needed from it. Yeah. But it was significantly smaller than the last house we used to live in. Well, and you kept having houses <clears throat> like you still had kids mm-hmm. because yeah. we all... We come lived and far enough. We lived, we lived far enough away that we would stay with you all, but you still had individual bedrooms for us all. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't really necessary. Like you I probably lived that longer than you needed to. Yep. I think you're right. We probably yeah. did. Well, because we can fit in your house. Your That's dad fine. grew up in a house that was four bedrooms, two and a half baths, two car garage. Tri-level. His, his dad lived in that house for, until he died. Is it a tri-level? <clears throat> Actually a quad level. Quad level, yeah. Yeah, because it had the basement. Right, right. So dad, his drive was towards that kind of house and we got to that kind of house. And then we, when we rebought houses, we bought to that same style of house. Mm-hmm. And when we moved, we'd already talked about downsizing because mm-hmm. we were going to live closer to you. You weren't going to have to necessarily stay at our house when you came For to like visit. days and days. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we weren't going to have to have that much room and we didn't want to spend the money on that much house when we were close to retirement, when we had other things we wanted to spend money on like yeah, travel. Travel for sure. And I think it was very hard on your dad because he looked at that house as being a goal that he'd made. Right. He won that prize. He expected to be able to keep that prize. Right. And... I was still reverting to the house that I grew up in, which was three beds, one bath, just a little ranch house, not anything fancy. And looking at this house as still being an improvement over what I grew up with, not necessarily needing to have all the extra space and all the extra bells and whistles and fancier wood trim and whatever else comes with a nicer house. Mm -hmm. Now we've made that house nicer, I think. Mm-hmm. kind of crowded, but nicer. <laughs> so I'm still happy with it. But dad told me recently that it took him a year to feel comfortable in that house mm-hmm. because so much of it needed repair or needed to have something upgraded in it. Mm-hmm. And he just felt like it wasn't as good as it needed to be. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised he was comfortable with having family there for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And there was a room that was big enough for everybody. Yeah. Or that our extended big family to have Thanksgiving. We figured it out. Yeah. But it's hard to say I have this and then say I don't have it anymore. Right. It's like the people who had the nice house and, and the nice cars and then had to ride the bus. Yeah. He feels, he felt for a year like he was riding the bus and he needed his car back. <laughs> right. And he's a car guy. So yeah. It's <laughs> that car. Well, I even feel, I was like thinking, you know, a little bit about grandma too is that, with her growing up and like not having anything Mm -hmm. and then grandma was a hoarder. So Mm -hmm. like going into her home later and later and later and having more and more stuff in there. Like, I wonder Mm -hmm. if she hadn't, she hadn't dealt with her money mindset truly. And like materialistic mindset. And I, she needed to have so much stuff. 
I do think part of that is losing family too. Yeah. Because my sister she was, upset. M- was living at home. My nephew was living at, at home with her. Mm-hmm. Her husband had died. My sister got married and moved out. My nephew went away to college and didn't come back. So she was from a, in a four bedroom house with nobody else there. Yeah. And not able to spend a lot of time with the, with family. They just weren't able to come back and spend time with her. Right. And I was living four hours away. So that was not real easy on me or dad either. And Mm -hmm. you kids are all off doing your own things. So getting up to see her was hard on her. And I don't know if you remember, but a lot of the stuff she collected at one point had more value than it did. Yeah. She grew up in- in, I remember being in her house when it wasn't full of stuff. I do. Yeah. And the stuff that we were getting rid of was stuff like Waterford Crystal, which doesn't have as much value to most people as it did at one point in time. I'm sure when she was 30, 35, if she could have had a big dinner party yeah. and had her Waterford Crystal and her China plates and her... In well, the 50s, she, yeah. she collected silver plates mostly, mm-hmm. but it looked like silver and have have silverware. That it's like was she finally had silver. the stuff that she had wanted yes. for so long. Yes. It's a little bit bit like me collecting art. The art, art of, of the masters now. Yeah. I mean, I was a Peter Max fan for forever. And now I actually have not a an original Peter Max, not like one of his mm-hmm. nobody else has it paintings, but one of his nicer signed by the artist. Like a print. Print, yes. But a, a really... I'm not sure if it's lithograph, serigraph, but, yeah. but it's one of those things where... I can say, I own a Peter Max. How cool is that? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she was going, I own, own China and yeah. Waterford, Waterford and Crystal. Silver. And yes. Yeah. And I mean, she would get out and she would socialize, you know, with people. Like it gave her a reason to leave the house mm-hmm. as well. And just, she always had little projects like where she was like redoing a, I remember. A table or a something. A table, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or she was painting it or, mm-hmm. or just whatever she, you know, felt like doing with a piece. That she was like, she was tending to it Mm -hmm. and she wanted to make it better. Mm -hmm. You know, she wanted to. And obviously in her like older age, like that became more difficult. But for a long time, she did have like multiple like peddlers malls, antique malls that had booths in them of her stuff. Mm -hmm. And so in a way it was like her way of like sharing that. Like mm-hmm. I'm curating these cool things. Look what I found from here and there. Mm-hmm. And she had the relationships with all the people and she loved living in Indianapolis to my knowledge. Yeah. She didn't try to move near us. She still had friends from her sorority group. She still had friends yeah. from Oasis, the seniors group. Yeah. Um, she was friends with some of the neighbors. With Betty. Yep. <laughs> friend, well, uh, she wasn't her neighbor, but she was her friend. One of one of her good friends from Oasis. So yeah. people that she could travel with. Yeah. I don't know when I get to that point in age. If I'm 80 and by myself, I hope I have those female relationships. I honestly don't think I need another male relationship. I've had, like, a, I've had a great one for the last 40 years. Let's like just me. keep it there. <laughs> you're like me though in that, you know, we're, we haven't had as many female relationships in general, mm-hmm. like whatever that looks like, but like really getting down to, you know, understanding and, and grandma too, I still feel like, yes, of course, we've got a few friends and all this stuff like you and I do. It's not that like we can't get along with women, but there's just still so much like masculine energy and grandma had a lot of masculine energy. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of masculine energy. 
And it's like, you, you're tough, strong women. And I definitely attribute a lot of the things I've gotten through because I've been raised, you know, by tough, strong women. I mean, when I was growing up, one of your favorite words was tough, you know, yeah. you got to get through it. Like, don't be a wuss. Don't be a wuss. <laughs> this is the way the world is, you know, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Like you never shied away from that stuff, basically. And I never felt like you weren't willing to tell me like, this is the way the, mm-hmm. this, the Mandalorian, like this is the way. But, <laughs> but I feel like I'd like to just touch a little bit, if you don't mind, on like your sisters and your relationship and like how the money. Hey, money makers! This is Cusco, the podcast producer for Woman on Wallets. Thank you so much for listening. We're actually going to be breaking this interview into two episodes, so stay tuned for part two. Dr. Katie Hounds will be deep diving into mental health, how money affected her relationships, and much more. You don't want to miss out. So until next time, go out there and make that money. If you want to put more money into the wallets of women like we do, then check out our website, thewomanownedwallet.com. And we can't wait to continue the conversation on our social media. So definitely follow us on our Instagram at womanowned.wallet and on TikTok at womanownedwallet. You can support us by following our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thank you for listening to Woman Owned Wallet, the podcast. 